With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts, thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brother and sisters in Christ, Lord, that we have yet another day to get into your word. We have another day to fellowship. We have another day to be thankful, Lord, for all that you have done and you continue to do for your people. But Lord, I want to pray a special prayer tonight because this ministry has been under attack. There's so many things that have gone on with people in our lives that we know. And we know, Lord, no matter what it is, I'm just beginning to see it. No matter what the difficulty, no matter what the situation, no matter what the attack, Lord, I know that it is Satan behind it all. How do I know? Because you said we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So we know that for those who couldn't make it today, Lord, I ask that you bless them. I ask that you remove the scales from their mind and their eyes, Lord, that they understand that we are at war. And unfortunately, this is what the battlefield looks like. If we are waiting, Lord, for the devil to come and wreak havoc in our lives for us to know that we're at war, then many of us are going to be casualties. It is so important that we get a glimpse of what this whole thing is about. It's not about love. It's not about, you know, hatred. It's not about sickness. It's not about family, Lord. It's really about you and the enemy. And I pray, Lord, that you keep our eyes open. And I pray that you give us everything that we're going to need, Lord, because these are desperate times. The enemy is attacking us in those places that we think are the most important to us. And I pray, Lord, that we buckle down in our spirits, Lord, that we get outside of that flesh and that we just look for the straight gate, Lord, which is you. I pray, Lord, that you cover us in your full armor of God. Protect our minds. Protect our hearts. Lord, give us the truth. Give us the understanding. Lord, take away sickness from the midst of this ministry. Take away madness. Take away folly, Lord. Take away those that are into self. And Lord, let us understand and get a clear clear perspective of where we are and what is going on. Because Lord, I'm, I'm really understanding it and I'm really getting it. If we cannot forsake the things of this life, we cannot follow you, Lord. Those words are ringing louder and clearer. Why? Because whatever it is that we have in our hearts, it'll keep us from you. You said, Lord, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, I'm praying for a strong presence of the Holy Ghost tonight. I'm praying that this message gets out. I'm praying that it be anointed, Lord, that it go into the far reaches, Lord, of wherever this world may go. That if there be any unsaved, any eyes who can't see, any ears who can't hear, Lord, let us get through this. But, Lord, in order for us to do it, you've, you've taken us from Egypt, Lord. 
but now we've got to fight. Yes. We've got to dig into our souls, and we've got to see those things that are not of you, yes. and we've got to remove them that we may make it into the promised land. So, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every spirit that is anti-Christ, Lord, that is against you. I pray in the name of Jesus that you bind it, that you kick it out of here, Lord, for it will spread like an infection if we don't get rid of it. Let us keep our eyes focused on the cross. We don't want to go there, Lord, but you know, in order to follow you, we must. What is it that we're holding on to? What is it that we're looking back for? Haven't you shown us already that you are all we need? Haven't we learned already that you can pick better friends for us than we can pick for ourselves? When will we get a clear understanding that it is only about you? And that you may give us according to your yes, good pleasure Jesus and what Christ. your desires are. Well, Lord, we're just done doing it our way. Yes, we're done understanding it our way, Lord. We need you in this time right yes, now because we are in a heavy attack and we are going against enemies unseen. Yes. But, Lord, you see them. You know them. Yes, you gave us your discernment. You gave us your understanding. But as we intend to talk about tonight, Lord, we've got to fight. Because if we don't fight, then all of this is going to be for nothing. You put the staff in our hands. So what are we looking around for? What is it that we're trying to gain outside of you? Whatever it is, Lord, I pray you take it from us. No matter how precious, no matter how heartfelt, no matter what we consider important, Lord. If it is hindering the walk, I pray in the name of Jesus that you destroy it. That you turn it to dust, Lord. That we may stay with you. Because the the way is that important. Eternal life is that important. So I pray over our families. I pray over our friends. I pray, Lord, that you introduce us to some real warriors because we're going to need them. And, Lord, let us be accounted worthy to escape all the things, Lord, that are coming upon the earth. Because we have put our hearts with yours. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful. You are just. And you are true. And you are worthy of all praises. Do it, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I've been wanting to do this study for a few weeks, but, you know, some studies I actually leave aside until I feel it in my spirit that the Lord tells us that we it's time to tackle them or it's time to go into them because... Sometimes it's not just about finding a subject. It's really like the Lord has to light something in your spirit to give you the words to speak. Because outside of that, it's just like, you know, just words. It's just information. But, you know, I'm just praying as we tackle this tonight that the Lord is really going to put it in us to understand where we are and what we need. Tonight's study is going to be called Contend for the Faith. Contend for for the faith. The faith is just not going to drop in our hands. You know, things are just not going to come our way. We have got to give it all to the Lord and we have got to put ourselves in him and forget about all that we get into and really rest on what he's calling us to because it's becoming so clear 
that, man, whatever it is, when this ministry starts getting members and people start coming together, all of a sudden, things prick us in the heart and we just start dropping out. We just start falling out. And, and it's just something that I'm beginning to notice that this can't be by accident. This can't be just for any given reason. This is about one particular thing that we have come in the name of Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. And he sees the potential in every single person here, every single person here. But if he can hinder you, that is what he is going to do. So we have got to give it all to Jesus that we might serve him. So what we're talking about tonight concerning contend for the faith, you know, I'm just noticing how a lot of Christians are just not in the fight. They're not fighting for what they believe. It's amazing how the devil, you know, when you hear them at work or wherever, they can just be so bold and just say whatever they want to say. And they don't even care if they offend us or if they hurt us. But here we are, you know, with the crown jewel, with our mouths zipped, worrying about if it's appropriate. You know, and I mean, I just think that that's a sorry look of a Christian. That's a sorry place to be in because, you know, we've got to look at things as, we were given a commandment, and that is to go and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I've been guilty myself in times past where I've said, well, you know, maybe this person doesn't want it because of, you know, their position at work or what they do or whomever. You know what? That's not up to you. That person may be contemplating suicide. That person may be going through something real in their lives. Our commandment, preach the word. And also defending the word. When you hear people blaspheme your God... I mean, we should have it. If you offend him, you offend me. If we be in Christ, we should stand up for him because God is not going to make a move unless it matters that much to us. I'm even learning that with some of these kids. When I pray for them or lay hands on them, it's almost like I get bothered to the point to where I'll have to start praying at work. Because I'm like, Lord, please let these kids stop. And the Lord's like, I ain't doing nothing. Why don't you why don't you do what I called you to do here? Why don't you pray over it? Why don't you rebuke spirits? Where's my power in these times? So we've got to understand God wants us proactive. He wants us in the battle. So we're going to cover quite a few things tonight concerning what it is to be in the fight. You know, the Lord even revealed to me, well, I guess it would be out for most people who are paying attention, but you guys remember um, when Muhammad Ali, I mean, this is before our time, but He always went out and he said, I'm the greatest of all times. You hear the greatest of all times. You know, it was revealed to me. It came to me in my sleep that that greatest of all times was Muhammad Ali proclaiming Satan. Now, I know some people would say, ain't no way in the world. Take the first letter of each word. And what do you you come up with? Greatest of all times. God. You come up with God God. from greatest of all times. (laughs) (laughs) You come up with goat. Like the goat. Yeah. You know, so it's so funny how it, even in sports today, when they're talking about goat, they're coming up with, you know, G-O-A-T. They don't say greatest of all times anymore. They say goat. Mm-hmm. So while, you know, this young kid was up there saying, I am the greatest, the greatest of all times, he was really standing for that which was not of Christ. Now, I know a lot of people probably don't want to hear this, but I'm just saying how bold how the devil can be proclaiming the things that he proclaims and we won't even stand up and say the things that we should but you know like Ali he he held his you know he held his own in the ring but you see we can be greater than that in Christ Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. He proclaimed what he believed, but we should be doing the exact same thing. And when it comes to salvation, it really is a fight. We're going to find out how many times you see boxing or boxing term or some type of wrestling or Olympics or something played out when we start talking about salvation, when, especially with Paul, because I guess he was in the Roman Empire. But watch how often he begins to talk about running a race or doing this or buffeting your body because he's talking about the sustaining of blows and being able to give some back. But we've got to be realistic talking about we want to go to war with Satan because, man, look at what we're getting hit with already. And if we can't stand up against that and say, oh, no, this is not going to hold me back. I'm going forward with you, Lord. Then, I mean, that's that's the best you got. You think that Satan has shown us his best yet? Nope. So we need to toughen up a little and really get into Jesus because the blows are coming. Will we be able to sustain them if we be in Christ? That is so important for us to understand. We need to be with him and in him that we may not fall. So let's go to Jude 1. I want to start in Jude 1 and then from there we'll uh, continue on. But man, the Lord wants warriors. I was telling Sarah today minutes before um, study... But I was telling her that, you know, ministry is a dirty war. It's a dirty game. Some people think ministry is just something where you just go in and you go around and tell people about Jesus. But what about when you got to go into that crack house? What is it when you got to go and try and talk to a prostitute or a pimp that's got that prostitute? Or put your life on the line for the gospel? Or you got people that may come in here on drugs that need to be delivered from what they're dealing with. It's a dirty game. It really is a war about setting people free. Because I'm looking at it like, man, Lord, we're going to need more power. Because it seems like the deeper we're going into this thing, we're running into people with greater issues than I intended to face. I once thought coming into ministry, all you got to do is just start preaching and people will get an understanding and want Jesus you know, you know, some people are held captive behind enemy lines. Some people are held captive. And that's why the Lord wants us to esteem um, our brethren more than us. we got to be in it. All right, so let's get started. Jude 1 and 1. And it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus are called. So we understand that Jude is speaking. He's the brother of James. He's also the brother of Jesus. But he's also, um, he said, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ are called. So that's who we're talking to, those that be in Christ. So he says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, why is he coming to them and he's saying this? Because these people might be saved and they might be sanctified, but you see, the battle has just begun. So he's saying, guys, I'm letting you know what's going to befall you, what's coming ahead of you. You've got to contend for the faith. It is just not going to be there for you just to accept. 
as we're speaking right now, there I mean, there's demons around trying to influence listeners. Don't tune into that. There, you know, there's there's stuff going on that even after people might receive the word and they leave, the enemy's gonna try and take those things from you. So it is a constant fight that we have to contend for the faith. So he's gonna give examples here, because that's what this whole chapter is this whole book is about. So then he says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and dying and denying the only Lord and uh, of the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, contend for the faith. Why? Because there were brethren crept in unawares who have brought the Lord's um, doctrine pretty much to lasciviousness. What is lasciviousness? Lustful desires. Mm -hmm. Things that are not of the heart of Jesus Christ. And he says, in denying the Lord. Okay, so verse 5 says, And I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. So Judah's speaking a little something here about grace, because if you caught it, he said there are people trying to corrupt the grace of God. These men crept in unawares to turn people away. But then he just gave in verse 5 an example of grace. He said the Lord did free them all from Egypt, but then in the wilderness he destroyed some of them that were not able to make it in. I mean, because they didn't believe. So, you know, we got to get realistic in our salvation about how important this whole thing is because the Lord might have brought you onto the truth. He came and got you, but you've got to stay in that truth. You've got to believe him. You've got to go as he goes because of God being that pillar of fire by day and that cloud of smoke by day or in a, a pillar of fire by night. If he started moving and the children of Israel stayed exactly where they were, do you think that God was going to come back for them? Excuse me. They, If he was that light, then they had to go with that light. And that's what we need to do. As God moves, we ought to move with him because he knows the way. So he's saying that just because they left Egypt don't mean that, you know, they were home free. They had to make it through that very place, which was the wilderness. I'm telling you guys, that is the most dangerous place of all, because that's where most of us are right now. We might want to be in the promise. We're getting glimpses of the promise. The Lord is talking to us about this promise, but we have not yet achieved that promise unless we can get out of our desires and get into his. That's the biggest thing. All right. So it says in verse six, and the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So we understand that even the angels, and this is why he's bringing this point forward. They were once in heaven. They allowed themselves to be enticed, looking at women, listening to Lucifer, and they came on down for a good old time. And that's why Second Peter 2 and 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, and cast them down to hell to reserve them in the days of judgment. And then what do you think he's going to do? The, you know, Jude 1 and 2 Peter 2 are, are parallel. Because 2 Peter 2 talks about how just Noah, 
the eighth person, the eighth person in the world, they got onto the ark and everything else was flooded. Then he goes to Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, that righteous man living amongst the sinners, had his righteous soul vexed from day to day. So the Lord is making it clear that, hey, if he didn't spare the angels that came down and did what they did, don't think that we've got it so good in with Christ that we can do what we want and take our grace for granted. So this is what he's saying. Verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, or set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So he was talking about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, why these people wouldn't repent. You know, God came down to see what was going on in that city. It was just Lot and his family, and then you find out most of Lot's family were too, involved in homosexuality. So the reason why Judah's bringing this forth is because these people have taken their grace to another level. They've taken it to, oh, God won't do nothing. He's all right. I can keep on doing what I'm doing and everything is going to be fine. But as you can see, God calls for us to contend in the faith, contend, fight for it. Why? Because if we get lax, we can fall victim to things like this. Verse 8, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Now, this is a mouthful because he said these filthy dreamers. Do you guys remember in the days of Noah when, you, when he reads that the Bible says that God said that man's heart was only evil continually? All he could think about was constant evil, how to get in trouble, how to do this, how to lust after what he wants, and then the Bible says that God had to destroy them because of it. So these filthy dreamers are people that don't want to be with Jesus. And that's why it says they defile the flesh and they despise dominion. So while we might be telling people, pursue Jesus, go after Jesus, let the Lord dictate your life. Now, if you're a filthy dreamer, that just feels like condemnation. That just feels like... Man, so what are you telling me I can't do now because of that? That's a filthy dreamer. Because if someone really had their minds focused on Jesus, they would go after what Jesus wanted. You would start to feel like, well, yeah, I should let Jesus dictate because I don't know anything. But a filthy dreamer is going to be one that's going to have thoughts outside of Jesus Christ. He's going to go after what he wants and not Christ. So then he says they despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. You know, and I could use an example for this, but the Lord is telling me to just wait a minute because, you know, it may not be yet. But you guys can remember last week when we were talking about certain things, you know, concerning um, how the behavior of a Christian should be. And you look at the backlash that we got from it because of what we say, that it was taken as in we're religious. We don't know what we're doing. How could you guys say such a thing? But the whole point was we were speaking of what God desires for us. We weren't judging anybody. But if you don't want the correction of Jesus Christ, you're going to make every excuse in the book to do what you want to do. That's a filthy dreamer. Verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said... The Lord rebuked thee. So Michael himself 
never came in his own strength. Michael relied on the Lord to get the body of Moses. And we know that Michael won this dispute because I believe it's in Deuteronomy 25, maybe, where it says, and the Lord himself buried Moses, you know, or brought Moses up and, and buried Moses. Now, some people would think that that was Michael. No, Michael the archangel probably brought the body to the Lord and the Lord put Moses in a place that nobody could find him. Verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things they corrupt themselves. So you see, the gospel will be repellent to anyone that is not repentant. We cannot afford to let these things stop us from going forward. The gospel doesn't have to make any apologies to anybody. The gospel is the truth and everyone else must bend around to it. Now, as we talked about Sunday in evangelism, the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. So we ought to wait on the instruction from the Lord to know what to do. We've even mentioned a word in season, how having the proper words that the Lord will make things happen and give people understanding. So, you know, but he's saying that the brute beast, they, you know, they hate the word of God because it's just in them to not want to serve him. Not saying the Lord can't get to them, but we got to understand that there are some people that even if there were no devil, they would probably hate God. And I'll, I'll explain why here. Look at verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Now, this is important, too, because Cain, you know, was influenced by his own way. Just because it was in his genetics to sin because of what Adam and Eve did doesn't mean that Cain had to. You know, um, what's his name? Abel. Oh, no, it must be somebody else. Abel was, you know, also from the same bloodline, but Abel himself followed the Lord. Abel himself gave the Lord what he wants. So it, it has to come from a willing vessel, someone that is willing to serve that wants to. Because there are some people in this world, and I'm not trying to be funny, but they've got no desire for Jesus. You can preach your heart out. You can do whatever you want to do. But these people will not come to the Lord for whatever reason. And we cannot make that a strain to us. For whatever reason, maybe the Lord will reach them in his time. But we've got to go forward doing what he calls us to do. So he says, they ran greedily. So that means that they were lusting after something. They said, after the era of Balaam. So that's one example. What was the era of Balaam? Remember, Balaam went to Balak and he tried to, he was of the Moabites. And he said, how do we deal with these, um, these uh, Israelites? So what did they do? They brought beautiful Moabite women into the midst, you know, up to the children of Israel. And that's where great disobedience started to come in. They started fooling around with the women and forgot all about their God. So that's one example. And then he says, um, they went for them for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So gainsaying is kind of like people that speak against the Bible. People that will tell you, you know, have supportive arguments against the word. Now, if you hang up under that long enough, you can be influenced to not serve the Lord. And that's why the word has got to be in us. We've got to be full of Jesus Christ. Because we can be persuaded just by the company that we keep. Yeah, Martin. So is there like a spirit of Cain that obviously is, mm -hmm. how did it become so 
You know, we're actually going to address that in a couple of weeks, but Cain, you know, for an example, is like a type of... Two brothers, one's good, one's bad. It's mm -hmm. like battling good, you know, good and evil. And you know what? You see that battle quite a bit, even with Jacob and Esau. You see it with so many, but Cain is a type of antichrist. Um, when we go into the history of Cain's family, because we intend to tackle that in a week or so, Cain came from, I mean... They were renegades. Like pretty much everybody in false religion that you can think of now, it says that Cain built the pyramids. Now, I don't know if that's true, his lineage, but they talked about the cities and everything that he built. And, um, you know, he was like into a lot of stuff. I think even when you go into the book of Jasher, that one of Cain's family or great, great, great grandson, Tubal Cain or something, went after Lamech, which was Noah's father, and Noah's father had to kill him, like, in battle. So they were like renegades, you know, like kind of like evil people. Now, some people would, the Bible does make clear that Cain was of the wicked one. Now, some people would speculate maybe Satan had, you know, sex with Eve and that's what happened. No, I don't believe that's what, what came of it because the Bible made clear that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. What I did discover about these two is they are twins. Some people would think that, no, Cain was older than Abel. Yeah, he came out first, but we don't really have time to get into that. But if you read Genesis 4 again, it talks about how Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So then came forth Cain. And then he says, and she bare another son, and his name was Abel. It didn't say years later. It didn't say a time later. It talked about like as if it happened that same day. But we don't have time to go into it, but in the Hebrew, it was talking about that they were they could have very well have been twins, the way that you look at it. So I don't think one was older than the other one, except that he came out first. Yeah. Just one more question. What else is it talking in the Bible about Michael and, and the body of Moses? I believe it's um, Deuteronomy 25. You guys might be able to um, yeah, find that in your spare time. But it says the Lord himself buried Moses, you know, or whatever, when Moses died. So. Mm -hmm. Read it real quick if you're, yeah. since you're already there. So Genesis 4 and 1. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it does actually. And it never like called him older, you yeah. know, ever. But it says she bare again. It it's was like, like it was the same day. Huh? Yeah. Right, like in sequence. So, you know, Cain was a part of the wicked one, but they were talking about gainsaying. Matter of fact, I want the proper meaning on that, so you guys can talk right now if you want, but I just want to bring this point forward because this is going to be a big part of what we do. There's got to be some sort of spirit that affected his bloodline, and obviously my... Well, I think it's... it's else. Right, and I think it's also... Be I think it's also becoming clear, too, that... Cain is like, um, how can I put it? You know, it's like sometimes it's not just demons. Sometimes it's your flesh that doesn't want the Lord. Like demons have some influence, but the flesh, Derek Prince believes you cannot um, crucify a demon. Like you can't, you know, but you can cast out a demon, but you can't, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't crucify a demon. You've got to be able to know what you're dealing with at that time. 
because it could be something. Okay, so it says here when talking of Cain, the word gainsaying means contradiction, opposition, and rebellion. So it says to speak against, gainsay, contradict, to oppose oneself to one, decline to obey him, declare oneself against him, refuse to have anything to do with him. So you see, this is what this whole thing is really about concerning Cain. Cain just didn't want to obey the Lord. And you're going to find people, why is it that some can receive the truth and other people, no matter what, they won't? No matter what you say. And it's almost like, man, I don't want to say that anybody doesn't have a chance. Everyone has a chance to come to the Lord. The Lord sent, the, the Father sent his son that the whole world might get saved. But there are some evil people in the world that they do not want Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because um, it talks about in 11, Genesis 4 and 11, how um, the curse of Cain, mm -hmm. after he killed his brother, yep. um, how he, there's a curse on the earth um, from Cain mm -hmm. because of that. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Maybe apply, you know, the two seeds, the study we did on the two seeds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one that is going to be the serpent seed and one is going to be, you know, Christ's seed. Mm -hmm. um, and how. That's right. How the that devil. Is, I mean, the devil is pretty much the father of anybody that's not born again. You know, that's really a part of it, you know. So it's true. We were going to um, actually discuss that in a week or so about what the mark of Cain was and how important that is concerning the mark of the beast. Because, you know, one thing you find when you read the Old Testament and you look at the New, it's kind of like they come together in order. How it begins is so funny that how it ends. So... Yeah, we're going to go into that in a week or so. I could have bring it forward now, actually, because we covered a few the, things. The first one is Cain. He's the bad one. The second one you mm -hmm. know, could have been a twin, obviously, but you know, he's still the second in line. You know, mm -hmm. is able and he's a good one. So it's like, you know, you start with bad, you end with good. You mm -hmm. know, it's like... No, it's true. Even look at Jacob and Esau. Esau came out first. Jacob came up after. Yeah. Adam was first. Later came Jesus. So it's like the bad one always comes out first. I don't know why that is, but... It's the truth. That's right. Hey, good point. That's right. Scripture right there. All right, so verse 12 says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Now, this is important to understand what we're dealing with and what we need to stay away from. He said these people are spots in your feast of charity. So, in other words, you can have like Jesus did, you know. He chose 12. One of them was a devil. While he was there trying to get his disciples together on one accord, there was one in the midst that was plotting his death. If we are believers, we are going to contend with this. This is just the way it is. But Jesus still gave that individual a fair chance. Because, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Uh... What's the traitor's name? Judas. Judas. And I'm wearing Jude, and I'm asking what's the traitor's name. But, you know, Judas could never say to the Lord, I would have changed, but you didn't give me a chance. So, see, that's why God is not going to leave anybody with any excuse. He gave Judas everything that he had given everyone else. But Judas decided in his own heart he doesn't want the Lord. There's nothing you can do about that, you know. So, anyway... He says, there's spots in your feast. So these people will feast with you, 
feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. That means no Holy Ghost. Carried about of winds. What? False doctrine. Every wind of dodger. They carried about with winds. Then it says, their trees without fruit, withereth without fruit. I mean, withereth without fruit. And then it says, twice dead. So that means that these people are condemned to hell. What is the lake of fire? The second death. So they're twice dead. They died in this life, not being physically alive or spiritually alive to Christ. And then they're going to spend their time in eternity too. People that resist the spirit, that don't want them. Plucked up by the roots. That means they're not even connected to the tree. That's what Adam and Eve were. Plucked up by the roots. Everybody was really until the coming of Jesus Christ. But that was God's grace. So then he says, they're raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So we understand that these people go their own way. And this is what they mean by they despise dominion. This is what we've got to contend with that we may not fall. Then it says in 14, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their heart, Oh, and of all their hard speeches, uh, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So we understand that these people are the ungodly. Verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaking great swelling words. So it's just like if you were to bring these people to the truth, they don't want it. And the Lord is trying to make us clear. This is what Jude is about. Remember, he started with the sanctified. He's warning these people, man, this can happen to you. I'm showing you all firsthand who these people are so that you may not be like them. That's why he went into a long explanation from verse 3 on to where we are right now. But he's giving you a real um, glimpse of what the ungodly looks like. Those who will not receive. No matter what. They got a better idea. So then he says they speak great swelling words. Having uh, men's persons in admiration. Because of advantage. Uh, but beloved. Remember ye the words of which were spoken before. Of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's addressing his people again. He just gave you an example of what those people were like. And he says, how they told you, how that they told you, there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. So if it feels good, do it. This is the crowd that he's dealing with. Hey, whatever it is, all I know is how it makes me feel. This is what I want to do. He says that they are sensual. That word for sensual, sukekos, the same word for natural. It's talking about a person that just lives in their five senses, and they enjoy the pleasures of this life. He said they separate themselves. God didn't separate them. They were carried away by their own lust, having not the spirit. So then he says... Uh, verse 20, but ye, beloved, back on us, building yourselves on your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, some people would say, how can I do that? Praying in the Holy Ghost is not just praying in tongues. Okay, praying in the Holy Ghost can be your spirit to spirit with God. Because some people would think that just means tongues. No, it doesn't just mean tongues. There are times that you can pray in the flesh and you can pray in the spirit. It's about your connection to the Lord or how you're praying. But it's not just talking about speaking in tongues. This is talking about giving the Lord your heart, praying through for a breakthrough. Verse 21, you ever notice you have more effect in some prayers than you do others? No, seriously, even when you pray in tongues, sometimes you got it more and then there's other times no. Because even while you're praying in tongues, sometimes your mind can be elsewhere. Your heart can be thinking on something else. So when you pray in the spirit, no matter if it's in tongues or if it's in straight from your heart, man, it seems like the Lord just showers you and cleanses you when your heart is with him. But when you got, that's the worst time to pray is when you got things on your mind that you want to do aside from the Lord, because then you feel like you're just wasting your time. And then you got to stay on your knees longer in order to really get that result. But God wants a pure heart. So that's what this is all about. So he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, um, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And, you know, that's one of the biggest mysteries concerning praying in the Holy Ghost and building up your faith. We don't understand that when we don't feel like getting on our knees, that's the time to do it. You don't understand that when you pray, you are speaking to the Lord and you might not feel it at the moment, but he's considering every prayer that you've got that he might, you know, um, clean you out. So there are times I prayed and I felt nothing. I went to bed and I could feel the Lord working on me in my sleep. And when I wake up, I feel refreshed. So you've got to give it to him. And that's the biggest secret. Think about it. Prayer is the thing that most Christians do the least. Think about it. You might go out and talk to people. You might go do, do this and that. But there's something about prayer that keeps you from going to your knees. That is the crown jewel. This is the place where we get built up. This is where the power is. Yeah, Martin. How do most people pray? I mean, is there anything that says you have to be on your knees? I see people pray with, you know, just looking up to the sky, or they're just like, and is. I believe that when you go on your closet, in your closet, you will be brought to your knees because you know you are coming before the King of Kings. But if you're out in the streets walking around, yeah, you can pray prayers to yourself. But I realize when I'm in total submission, you know, if you guys ever realize, uh, one second, in prayer, when you really start getting into your prayer, where does your head end up tilting? Yeah. Up. Up. Your head starts to go up. I just feel like he's pulling something out of me when I'm on my knees before him like that. But when I'm, um, you know, I, I always start out prayer here, and somehow I end up here. Oh, so it's hand, a, right. Yeah, right. So sense. it's like he's, he's giving you something, and you're really communicating with him. But no, you don't have to be on your knees. But, you know, that's one of those things that it depends on who do you think you're talking to. You know, who do you think you're talking to? That that says it all. Right. You know what I mean? Because if he truly is king of kings, if you believe, you you know, you got no problem with that because, you know, he is God. You know, but good, Sarah, sir. I was just going to give a couple of things. One is, is that um, there's been times when I've started out praying and it felt like it was straight cold. Mm-hmm. But it was like the longer I went in prayer, it was like that revving up of the engine. It's 
kind of like when you start your engine, like when mm-hmm. I'm the car, it's like, and you got to go a few turns, mm-hmm. and then it starts, and then you could, it's like I could feel the Holy Ghost coming on me. So sometimes it's actually like, the Lord wants to know how dedicated are you to praying with me? How willing, how much are you willing to stay on your knees until you hear from me? And then there's been times, like in prayer circles, people have prayed standing up. And, but again, I agree with you too. It's like in your personal time, you know, you're going to want to be before the Lord on your knees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I feel like when I'm, when I'm in, like in need of Jesus, I get on my knees or I do something different. But when I'm already like, feel like I'm in the spirit, I just like, like it's almost natural to just kind of like, you know, like mm-hmm. look up. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, like, like I, I mean, hey, right. You know, it's like... No, totally. I'm just saying that, like, in the way these guys did in the past, mm-hmm. you had um, prophets that would fast in sackcloth. Mm-hmm. They were wrapped in sackcloth and ashes. I mean, you would have a king stripped down into that and one be before his Lord like that well, in total humility. I mean, barefoot and whatever. Sackcloth on their cattle because they didn't know any different and the Lord blessed them for their humility. That's why we've got to contend for a breakthrough, but prayer is the biggest thing that we have to conquer. The Lord is also revealing to me while we're sitting here talking. I don't know why I didn't think of it before, but, you know, also when you feel cold, when you get ready to get on your knees in prayer, you know what that is? That's the world wrapped around you. And that's why the Bible tells you, quench not the spirit of God. We got a teaching coming up on that too. But don't grieve the Holy Ghost of God because of course the Lord will come to any willing vessel. But I've noticed there were days where I said, okay, Lord, it's you and me today. And I might not have prayed that much in the day, but I'm out doing what he calls me to do. And I feel led by the spirit unto doing it. When I get down on my knees, I'm red hot. It's like a clear pathway to the Lord. But if the Lord is calling us to do things and we don't, we get wrapped up in the world and then we got to get unwrapped just to get back to the Lord. So we've got to understand that something is coming between you and the Lord and we got to make sure that that doesn't happen. We've got to contend to keep that door open because we get comfortable and the Lord is like, you know, I wanted you to do something for me today. I don't know what you were doing when I said it, but you know, you didn't do it. So I think at some point, I'm not going to say God is, he's slow to anger and he loves us and he's gentle and he's merciful. But I think at times I have felt it where I have gone through the course of a day and I have grieved the Holy Ghost. I can feel it's almost like you don't even want to get down on your knees because of guilt. But you know, if you don't, that's only going to add more distance. So you get down anyway. But how many times have you felt like, why am I getting down here knowing you know, that I didn't do what he called me to do today. So as you get more sensitive with him, he's going to start directing you. But I encourage stay down in prayer. That is the biggest thing that we need to contend with. Because once that pipeline is open, man, forget it. You do actually feel like more joyful when you do the Lord's will. Some of my best prayers, man, I stay down on my knees. I'm talking about tears dripping from my eyes and everything, man. I'm talking, you don't even want to get up and blow your nose. Because you don't want to end the prayer. But, I mean, you're just like, I mean, humble in it. And, man, you feel so clean when you rise to your feet. So the Lord knows a sincere prayer versus one that isn't. You know? I mean, it's just something to think about. But we need this because this is is what builds us up in that most holy faith. When we we give it to him and we connect with him. 
and of some, this is verse 22, have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So you got two different types of people here. You got some that you can save with compassion, and then there's others, man, you got to put the fear of God in them for some people to get saved. That's just the way that it is. You know, I'll tell you what. I'll say that for another time. 24. Now unto him who is Jesus that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So I believe when it says unto him, I believe it is Jesus, but I also believe when it says him, it may be speaking of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the Holy Ghost is the one, the comforter. He's down here to give us power in our salvation. And also when it says him, you notice they didn't mention Jesus. They mentioned Jesus up where it says in verse uh, 21. But when it says now unto him, you know, the Holy Ghost is always the nameless servant. You know, so you know that it's really about him as well because he's doing the will of the father but he doesn't come for glory he's only for one purpose that we do not fall so god can keep us from falling but we've got to first tie that connection up with the lord that we may stay right all right so let's move on i want to go to um let's go to um second samuel 23 you know when i read this i meant to read this a long time ago but i got caught up in some other things but you know we got to learn to be warriors for Jesus Amen. we really do nobody's saying you got to be a barbarian see when you say warrior people automatically think barbarian no I'm not talking about a barbarian I'm talking about a warrior you can be a prayer warrior you can be someone that's in Christ now I should have read this Sunday but you guys listen to this this says are you an evangelist it says, do you have a passionate desire to make a difference? Now, you know, let's be real with ourselves. Do we think that we do? Are you one of those people that, man, when you see something, it's just, man, I want to get in there and I want to change this. That's one. This is two. Do you fearlessly believe in a cause? That's two. This is three. Do you work for a cause for an intrinsic satisfaction it brings, for the intrinsic satisfaction it brings? Like, do you just do it for that? Not for the sake of getting paid or doing whatever. Are you really in it because this is what you enjoy to do? Then it says in, in um, four, do you give up other things to make a commitment? You know, this is five. Do you enjoy fighting the mediocre, the mundane, and the status quo? I know I'm like this, man, because it's just like for me, when I see injustice or anything like that, I'm like, no, we need to get some Jesus up in here. You know, but it's just, I could be labeled in some ways as a troublemaker, but I'm not trying to be, but we're going to get Jesus involved in this, you know, because you can just see darkness. Yeah. And forget the normalcy. Do you know Jesus? That's all I'm concerned about. So he says, uh, this is the next one. Do you get accused of being driven, showing chutzpah, or, um, or having more guts than brains? You know, and, and church play is kind of like that, you know, what do they call that? You know, like when you're just Zeal? Zeal. like macho, you know, zealous, but really like confident and bold. Mm -hmm. 
like fearless and just telling people like it is. That's what you call chutzpah. You know, like you said, do you have that and you consider to have more guts than brains? That can happen to a Christian. When somebody is really bold in the spirit, you'll be labeled as an unloving, you know, not kind. Why do you always have to think you know everything and say things? But you know what? If you look at the Man, if you look at the apostles and all these guys, these guys spoke what was what. Mm. Now this one is funny. Mm. Does your spouse threaten to leave you? <laughs> Like, you know what? I don't want to hear any more Jesus. And you talking about going out to go and visit and do work for him. Your family is going to leave you if you don't do this. And then it says to see if you can be an evangelist, change, do to can. You know, like if you can change doing to can, you know, whatever. But you're someone that's on the job and not someone that's just talking about it. So, you know, these things are pretty important because everybody thinking evangelist is somebody who just walks around with a Bible in their hand. Just, you know, trying to share the love of God. They can be, but along with sharing that love of God, you're going to face some opposition. You think the devil is going to let your household run well while you're out there winning souls? No, he's going to try and pull that thing apart. Why? To keep you stuck to what it is that you're into. Yeah. What is it that 95% of the time when we're out there, what do we hear? Oh, yeah. you're crazy? Yeah, you're crazy. Even that archaic nonsense, I believe in Satan. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's you know that's ninety five percent of what we hear when mm -hmm. we're out there is is that you know I'm an atheist and I do this and I do that and blah 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 and it just. You but know, you see, for an evangelist, it's like man, he's somebody that's just willing to go. Mm -hmm. He's like man, I'm going. I don't care what this is about, and this is why Jesus Christ has got to be more important to us than anything. Mm -hmm. Because why wouldn't the devil use your job against you? Why wouldn't he use your family or your money, anything against you? He's going to do it. So when you feel these attacks coming on, buckle down. The devil will leave them alone in time. But see, right now, as long as he can use him, I mean, all is fair in love and war. If I were the devil, I'd probably do the same thing. If I'm at war with you, why not keep pushing the same button that's going to get you to come back? So we've got to be smarter than him, and we've got to say, no, every time it seems like I get ready to do this, here comes the devil with his plan to do something else. You know what? I'm going to ignore him. Devil, you want to take my job, take it. You want to take my marriage, take it. You want to take my kids, go ahead. But I'm staying in line with Jesus. Yeah. These things are tests to see how much we love the Lord and what we're willing to do. But notice, everything is like clockwork. The moment, everything can be fine in your life until you bring up Jesus. Until you decide to do something for him. Now you, you know, break down with the flu. You're sick. Your kids are being attacked. These things, when it talks about contending for the faith, we've got to overlook this. We've got to go beyond this. Because if we went according to our feelings, man, it would never get done. Like Sarah, there's days, man, I'm telling you, I've been sick. Or I've been up here, and I mean, something is really bothering me. I mean, bad. But you guys don't know it because I'm into this. But there are times I don't feel like doing it. But it's like, man, if I don't, if I go according to how I feel, how can anything get done? So, you know, sometimes you just got to buckle down and do what the Lord says. You have got to do that. That is what it's about. Understanding where the enemy is. So let's go to... Um, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10 real quick. 1 Corinthians 10. Oh, yeah, sorry. Thanks for reminding me. That's where I was supposed to go. I'm sorry, guys. 
Thanks. Thank you, Christina. You see how the enemy tried to take me away from him? <laughs> well, you ain't reading this tonight. <laughs> All right, 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8. And it says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tecmonite uh, that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The same was Adino the Enzite. He lift up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time. Now, see, I know people may look at this like, man, this is crazy. This got nothing to do with the Lord, but we got to understand the power that the Lord gave us. These are David's mighty men. This was one man. So you heard of Samson. You ain't never heard of this guy. Huh? He slayed uh, 800 men by himself. You want to talk Exactly. You want to talk about real men of God, man. These guys are, David wasn't a wimp himself, and he wasn't hanging around a bunch of wimps. So people need to get that, that thought out. He was some little shepherd boy, like 12 years old. David was a grown man. But the point is, is David slew a lion and a bear. So David was no wimp. But these men loved David. They only had one goal in mind, and that was to make David the king. That was all they were concerned about. Whatever loyalties they had to David, that's what they were involved in. But look at what they, this is a warrior, man, for the Lord. Look at 9. And after him was Eleazar, uh, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, the Ahohite, the uh, one of the three mighty men with David, when they uh, defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. So you see, the men of Israel went away, and David just had a few men with him. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hands were weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Now see, some people may say, man, that's just too much violence. But you know what? That gets my blood boiling. Because if we can look at the Old Testament, in terms of how they had to defeat the enemy. And then we look at how we're supposed to have the Holy Ghost today to do the will of the Lord. This will be the same as winning souls, standing in the face of fear, preaching the gospel at all costs, that people might get saved. It's the same thing. Didn't you notice when it said here that he smote the Philistines until his hands were weary? You know what the Bible tells us about not being weary and being able to go forward and serve the Lord? You will get weary in this battle, but you have got to stay strong with the Lord. And see, both times, with both of these men, the Lord mentioned, it mentions the Lord won. The Lord got the glory. So who are we warring for, ourselves or the Lord? The first time Sarah went out there by herself, because she was inspired by one of the, um, you know, messages or whatever, and the Lord spoke to her spirit, she went out there, a little duffel bag with food in it and everything, went out there with her Bible and spoke to everybody. But didn't you feel the end? You felt the hits when you got through with that. So what did she do? She came, met up with me later and was like, yeah, you know, it was kind of rough out there. And I told her, I said, I hope it killed you. Why? Because she was in it with her feelings, but the Lord was trying to take that off of her so she wouldn't care about her to serve the Lord. I'm not going to come there, oh, it'll be all right. And, you know, hey, hey if, you, if it bothers you, then that means that you had an issue with you, not the Lord. But go ahead. Yeah. It was actually the 
second time, the second time I went out with my feelings has only went out in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't been fasting and I hadn't been praying much before I went out. And so I really felt like discouraged. And that's when you told me, you're like, I hope it kills me because I was like, I was, I was going, that time I was actually going in my feelings and people would say, no, I don't, and I was like, well, man, I feel like, Lord, what's the point of me even being out here? You know, people are, and, and it was just like, that's when you told me, like, I hope it kills you because it's not about <laughs> us, it's not about me, it's about the Lord's will being done. That's the whole you know? purpose. Remember when Jeremiah said he won't speak for the Lord anymore, the Lord was trying to get rid of that that flesh that was on Jeremiah that he might contend. As long as we have wants and desires, we can't serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. So now when we're out there and people curse us, man, there was a time I would get offended, but now it's like yeah, exactly. Like, Lord, they're mad at you. They're not mad at me. These people don't know me. But we've got to get beyond that flesh. One of the toughest times is the first time you ever go out to minister like that. Why? Because the devil is going to try and stop you from having any confidence in doing what the Lord says. He's going to try and hinder you. And that's why there are days I don't feel like it, but I go anyways because I want to get used to rejection and wanting to see what the Lord can do. Because if, if rejection doesn't mean anything to you, to you anymore, then where won't you go? What won't you do? But that's the place that the Lord wants to get you to. Stop worrying about you and do what I called you to do. Yeah. One more quick point because I know we got to get going. Um, and I'm not saying that anyone do unless the Lord tells them to do. But I know that one of the biggest tests of faith really is going out and evangelizing by yourself without people around you. Yeah, it is because it's just you and the Lord. It's just you and the mm-hmm. Lord, and it's going to test how strong you are in the Lord and what you're going to, if, if it really pricks you, if people say that they don't want to believe or they got other stuff going on. I mean, it is a real, and it also shows you how much of this word you really know, because you don't have anyone else telling you what to say. It's, it's got to be in You us. know, some of the strongest times I've ever had in evangelism has been the Lord and I, mm-hmm. you know, because I think like he wants to clear those thoughts of defeat and doubt and unbelief. When it's just you and he, he shows up for real because he's like, I'm not going to leave you out here by yourself. Don't think that. And that's why I did enjoy when we first came out in numbers and then like it died down. And, you know, I started feeling kind of funny. And then I said, you know what, Lord, praise your holy name. Why? You don't want me to get used to this. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go regardless of who does it. It is important that we do that. That's how you contend for the faith. Because when when no one is around, who are you really? Mm -hmm. That's what the Lord is trying to figure out. Okay, let's see who you are when there's no support system out here. Because whomever that is, that's the real you. I don't care if you've got fear and there's things you don't understand or you may have doubt. That's the real you. Everybody can put on a show in front of people. But let's not mentally ascend. Let's be very realistic in ourselves if we intend to contend. We can all talk Jesus in here, but let's get out there. That's you. So ask the Lord to build you up. Then the lion, oh, no, I ain't have any fear. I'm like, man, did you even go out there today? Oh, no. I mean, there are people that will do stuff like that. But you've got to be realistic in who you are. Because the Lord will work with you. Look at verse 11. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite, And the Philistines were gathered together unto the troop, 
where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood, so the people ran and left, but he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Do you realize every time they do something, the Lord is who gets the victory. So this is why he's trying to get us to be soldiers, man. Work for me. Do what I'm telling you to do. How can the Lord have victory if we're not willing to put ourselves on the line? Man, look at this guy. Verse 13. And three of the thirty chief, uh, yeah, three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time unto a cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the in the valley of Rephaim. Now you guys know what the Rephaim are, right? They are giants. Those are considered the, yeah, the tribes of giants. So this guy was pitched down there. And David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So that means the Philistines at one point, they did control Israel around the time of Samson and even around the time of David. Remember when the Philistines took over? Look at this. And the 30 men, I mean the 30 mighty men, Break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem and was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. So you understand David is a type of Christ. But you see, they had to break through to get to that Holy Ghost, to get to that well. That well is for those who are freely given, but you've got to freely offer yourself over that the Lord can use you. Oh. These guys broke through, but you see David offered it to the Lord. And David, he's one of my favorite. I mean, what a man of God. So he says, um, verse 17, And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy in their lives? Therefore he would not drink it, these things, uh, these things did did these uh, three mighty men. So I said thirty. It was three. So Lord forgive me. There were only three men that went in here and did this. That took care of business. Look at verse eighteen. And a and Abisha, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Zeruiah, uh, the chief among three. And he lift up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among among three. Was not he most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain. Howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man, and uh, Kebzeel, of Kebzeel, I guess that's what it is, Kebzeel, <laughs> Uh, who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of the pit in the um, in time of snow. So this was a bad dude. I mean, two lion-like men. I believe, honestly, that these were hybrids. See, in those days, people don't think things like this existed. He said two lion-like men. Now, could they have been bold or brave men? I believe that these guys were probably like hybrids, like giants, you know, tribe of giants. He went down, slew both of them, and then went down in a snowy day and took out a lion too. I mean, these men are mighty. Now look at what he did next. And he slew an Egyptian 
a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. And he went down to him with the staff, and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and slew him with his own spear. I mean, you want to talk about someone that's a conqueror. I mean, this guy went after those two lion men, slew a lion, and then went down there against an Egyptian with, you know, no weapon. Then took the spear out of his hand and delivered it to him. Man, you want to talk about mighty men of God. We've got a lineage to live up to. We've got a lineage to be a part of. This is important that we understand what this is about. There are no weak people in the kingdom of God. I don't care if you're talking about Ruth and Boaz. I don't care if you're talking about Esther that fasted. Remember, she was the only one with guts. The children of Israel were afraid, and here she was. If I go and speak to the king, you guys are going to fast and pray for me if I'm going to put my life on the line. There were no weaklings in this book. They were all strong. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Yeah. This story here, though, I mean, if you, 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 you heard it as you were reading it, right? Yeah, the I meant to. Yeah. The giants in, in Bethlehem, and it was just like the three mighty men, mm-hmm. you know, of David and what it represents. is like the giants of the old were the demons of the future of what Christ would come back That's right. you know, and, and defeat. And, but it was like, all these sayings here in Bethlehem. So it was like, where was it? the place of Christ's birth was in Bethlehem? So it's the place like, that Samson slew the Philistines, the place that Jesus was on the cross. Yeah. All those things come together. I mean, so let's go to Hebrews 12. We'll start at verse 1. Now remember, Hebrews 11 is about faith. We talked about all those guys that went out there and did what they were supposed to do. That's called the Hall of Faith. By faith, everybody in the Bible was mentioned that did something for the Lord. So this is Hebrews 12. Now this is where he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So now that we've got a cloud of witnesses, the Bible is making this clear. All those people that died in those days that did what they did, man, they're looking on. They might be at peace with the Lord somewhere, but it's a cloud of witnesses. We're like in a stadium watching our lives play out. And these guys are sitting there looking at us, rooting for you, pulling for you. And you mean to say we just want to settle for, I just want to be a simple individual that just walks around and loves people. Man, are you kidding me? Look at the lineage. The disciples didn't even go out like that. I mean, they were pretty much lives on the line, doing the will of the Lord. But man, I I can't speak for anybody else. But this is what I want to measure up to. Why? Because all those men and women that were of Christ were like this. Why would I want to be less than this? We've got to contend. So he said, look at, look at what the problem is. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. So there are things that are holding us back. Every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So sin keeps us from being like these people. Think about it. This is why he's telling us this. And then he says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So we don't really start running until we get rid of these things off of us. This is why we can't get the spiritual growth that we're looking for. 
because we've got things tied to us that are making us too tired to pray, too tired to fast, too tired to minister, held back from the things that God wants us to do. So he's saying, man, lay these weights aside, whatever it is that's holding you back, and get in this race. Why? Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So the joy that was set before Jesus is that we might be saved. But he was more than happy to endure the cross. Not because he liked getting beat, but because he thought of you and I. This is the forerunner, the author and finisher of our faith. So he endured hardness, you know, as a true soldier for his people. This is why Paul tells us to endure hardness. But then look at this, despising the shame and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. So, you know, going out there, contending for the faith, defending the faith, you're going to face a lot of hardness. People are going to make you regret that you went out and you spoke for Jesus. And that's why we must remain in the faith. We, the Lord wants to burn this flesh off of us that we won't care. So this is so important that we give it to him. I can't stress that enough. Give it to the Lord. Put yourself in situations where you are afraid. Because we need to know if our God is God. You know, that's important. I mean, of course, you know, we go through our steps and growth. But come on, man, we know the Lord by now enough to get in the conflict for him. Man, allow the Lord to work through you. He said, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So he's telling us, don't faint and be wearied in your minds. You've got to remember what he went through. And that's what gives you the inspiration to endure. Because I can guarantee you, no matter what persecution or whatever it is we face in this life, we will. no man will ever have endured more than Jesus Christ. No man. What was laid on Jesus? You know, at one point I said the devil was doing all these things to him. The devil might have been, but you know what Jesus endured? The wrath of God. The Father himself had that infliction put on his Son for the world to be saved. What Jesus got, we were supposed to get. So that was the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ. And it pleased the Father to crush his own son for you and I. Man, and if that's who the author and finisher is, we need to get into battle. So it says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So when the Lord is correcting you, when you're hearing gospel come at you for real, and you know that some of those things are you, rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is refusing in a time of evil to let you fall asleep. He loves you way too much to let you take this walk mediocre and go on your way to hell. He's coaching you. He's pushing you. He's getting you ready for the fight that we might be like him. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. Anybody want to add anything they can, but, you know, I just want to make sure I hit these points. Oh, what a warrior. I want to be a warrior for Jesus. I can't speak for anybody else, but me, I don't want to go out easy. I want to give the devil a black eye before I leave here. Say, Lord, let your will be done. You know, I want to go out, <laughs> not for my pride, but... 
That way I know I made it in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I will say this, it's like, unpleasant as it can be at times, I'm actually really happy that the Lord's not allowed me to get comfortable here. Because it's not to say that He can't give us blessings, but if we get comfortable, then that means when the fight comes our way, we're going to run and turn the other direction. We're not going to be ready for mm. it. You know, basic training wasn't comfortable, but guess what? I mean, it taught you how to be a soldier. And that's what He wants to do for us. You know, I can even tell, like, I'm so glad that even when, you know, I got involved in this that it didn't come easy, that I faced opposition and things happened because you guys remember Alan, mm -hmm. when Alan used to come here and he was, you know, and everything. And I remember, man, that used to bother me. But now I can actually hear people speak or whatever and not get deterred from what I'm called to do. So, you know, I'm growing as well in this. Mm -hmm. There was a time, man, I... You want to take it outside? That's the way I was feeling. But it's like, that's not of Jesus. You know, that's not even of his spirit. Right. But now when you get more into it and you get hit enough and things happen to you, you can go on and do what is necessary because you know where the fight really is. Mm -hmm. So, man, he's trying to get us together. All right, Hebrews 9, verse 6, I mean, not Hebrews, 1 Corinthians 9 and 16. And it says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So Paul's saying, it is necessary for me to do this. So there's no, there's no glory in this for me. But woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, um, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So it's like, yeah, like if you've got to be forced to do this, then, you know, distributing the gospel is like it's committed to you that you're not doing what you're called to do, that you're trashing the treasure. You're not even doing what the Lord is telling you to do. So this is important that we understand this, that Paul is talking about a willing vessel, someone that will get into battle. You're not scared into it. People are waiting for the great tribulation. The great tribulation is here. All right. All you got to do is cash in your ticket and join in the battle. I mean, that's really what it is. The great tribulation is here. Stand for Jesus and see what happens. But see, for a lot of people that haven't gone in, we're going to find out what's going to happen to those people too because Isaiah talks about this. But, you know, it is better to practice now than to find out later on, man, now it's real hot and heavy. And I haven't even gone, just like a boxer. I haven't even warmed up. I didn't jump rope, no sparring, no training. No, you know, amateur bouts. And now I'm here for the championship bout. What am I going to do now? I'm going to get a beat down. Why? Because I've never even put into practice what I learned. So many false Christians are waiting for the Holy Ghost to fall on them at the time of the tribulation. Get the Holy Ghost now and go. Why? Because you will be equipped for what is coming. And that's why when Paul says we are perplexed on every side, not shaken, we're not moved. Remember, that's uh, 2 Corinthians 4. He said all these things going on around him, and he's standing his ground. Why? Because Paul had Jesus Christ formed in him. We you smiling about it. I can't remember what Bible study it was, but this was several months ago, and you were talking similar along these lines, like when the day comes, you get a phone call from somebody, man, I need some deliverance. Oh, she was talking about one time when we were talking about the um, ten virgins. And, you know, five were wise, five were foolish. But then the foolish virgins let their oil burn out. Now the Lord is coming. The announcement's been made. 
Man, you're going to go to somebody, hey, man, can you lay hands on me real quick? Because this is getting ready to go down. You know, but it's like, man, it's too late now. You should have been in the battle getting yourself together. All right, so this is verse 18. What is my reward then? Verily, when I preach, when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power of the gospel. So Paul's saying, I'm not going to be paid, and I'm not going to be commanded to do this. I'm going to do it because I know it's what's called of me. So he's not looking for money in this. Verse 19, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Now, this is one of the most easily understood scriptures in the Bible. Now, when Paul says, I became all things to all men, what he's going to say, you got to understand he's not talking about being like the person in order to win the person. He's saying that he went where, you know, a lot of people were. And he's talking about, like, if their culture is this, okay, I'm going to be in the culture for that. He's not talking about getting involved in sin. He's not talking about doing the corrupt things of the world so that people might get one. There's another brother that is misunderstanding the scripture. You have to be full of the spirit. So you can't talk about speaking that language. There's only one language for a Christian. And that's the language that the Holy Ghost gives you. And it won't be corrupt. Okay, it's going to be a speech that is going to hit home where people might understand. But when he says all things to all men, it's like, man, if you go in a Muslim home and they say, all right, we cover our heads, then cover your head. If we take our shoes off, take your shoes off that they might get one. He ain't talking about praying to Allah, going down to the strip club and getting involved in what they do or drinking alcohol because that's what they do. The Lord may tell you have a glass of wine. So that you might not offend people. He may tell some other people, don't have any wine because I know your story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all about yielding to what the Lord tells you to do. But when he says all things for all men, he made himself available to every single one, not counting them out. Just like Jesus. Like Titus, because he, they thought he was a Greek. Right, so he was circumcised just so they wouldn't hold that against him. Right. Exactly. Talking about sticking a needle in your arm and going out and doing whatever. So anyway, he says, so he might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, and I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. So what he meant by under the law, there might be rituals and practices that they did. Paul said, I don't have a problem with that because I'm here to preach Jesus. And see, he's telling you why he went into some of these places on the Sabbath day that they might get one. Not to get involved in this, but to tell people about Jesus. That's all it was. All right, so he says, um, verse 22, uh, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might, that I might by all means save some. So when he became weak unto the weak, it's kind of like, if you know you're around people that are broken, we talked about this Sunday, that as an evangelist, you got to be careful because if you go and preach hard gospel, that person might have been contemplating suicide. And you just confirmed it with telling them, the end of the world is here and the Lord is going to get all sinners. And then that person's like, man, what choice have I now? I may as well, you know, finish the job. So we want to hear what the Lord has to say that he might win there. So he said he became as weak, like, you know, comforting. Verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake, not for his own. Why most people preach a soft soap gospel is not for the gospel's sake. 
They do it for theirs. If I won't be offensive, I will be liked and I become your favorite pastor. See, that's what they really want. It's not even about this. It's about not for the gospel's sake. Man, I don't want to be ridiculed. See, that's a whole different mindset uh, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye might obtain. So here's another Olympic term. He's talking about running for a prize. And we got to understand the only way you're going to win a race is if you strive to win, mm -hmm. is if you train, is if you're patient, is if you put in time to be able to run this race. So he said, man, run that um, ye may obtain. He didn't say you will, you may. But you got to get in the race and you have got to strive. Verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they, um, now they do it to obtain corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So we got to understand too, when he talked about those who are temperate in verse 25, he said, man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. So he's talking about like, in other words, we need to be patient. We need to not allow ourselves to get thrown off course. You know, we need to be diligent. We need to be, because a lot of us get thrown off in emotion. You think you run into some godly people until they have real hell break out in their lives. Then you find out how much faith. You know, a person starts blaming God, blaming you, blaming everybody. And it's just, that's not someone that's striving. Someone that's really striving is on the job. And they're not mediocre either. They're pushing for the goal. So he says these people, they go for corruptible crowns in the world. What we're going to have is an incorruptible crown, one that no man can take from you because you have earned that in Christ. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So he's making it clear, I know what I'm on here. I know what I'm doing. I understand where I should be. And when I'm going after the enemy, I'm hitting him hard. I'm, I'm, I'm making it count when it counts. I'm not swinging against the air in hope. I'm going after what I know is true. So verse 27, he said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. So that's the first stage. If we want to walk with the Lord and we want to win this race, we've got to keep under our body. How do we do that? Fasting, prayer. And you know, I'm going to say something that I, I probably never said before. We need to be healthy. You know you're overweight. We need to work out. We need to get in shape. Because you know what? Everything works together, body, soul, and spirit. You can be full of the Holy Ghost, but if you're 400 pounds, how much, how effective are you going to be going and doing what the Lord calls? And I'm not making fun of anybody overweight, but, you know, the Bible says that in, in time, we would be overcome by surfeiting because we have given it over to our indulgence. What did he call those enemies of the cross of Christ? He said, those whose God is their belly, you know, whose glory is in their shame and they mind, they mind evil things or things or earthly things, actually. But you see, when you overindulge, whatever is your God will get bigger on you. Whatever is your God, your pockets get bigger, money is your God. You know, if your stomach gets bigger, food is your God. Whatever it is that is biggest in you is your God. So he's telling these people, get up under your body. So he said, bring it under subjection to what? The spirit. 
lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So if Paul is telling you here he could be a castaway, what does that tell you? I realize when I'm not fasting and I'm sitting there eating up everything in the house and then looking for more, there's something that is happening to my mind because you ever notice when you overindulge, you don't even want to pray. Mm-hmm. You just feel so lazy, so lethargic. All right, I'm going to eat. I mean, I'm going to pray. But let me get another piece of pie and some ice cream. <laughs> you know, and after that, I can, you know, get into it. And then, you know, off all that sugar hit the gut. Now you're ready for bed. So what happened to the Lord's time? So we do have to keep up under our bodies. And I think we should eat better because, you know, Paul's saying, hey, I can be a castaway if I'm not careful. And this is an apostle telling you. So, you know, Paul contended for the faith. Let's go to, um, if anyone has anything to add, they can. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 13. Yeah, and that's why we've got to be careful concerning that. All right, this is First Corinthians, uh, I mean Second Corinthians thirteen and verse one. It says, "This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as I as if I were present. The second time, uh, and being absent now, I write to them." which um, heretofore have sinned, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare. So he's saying, all right, I wrote to you guys before, and next time I come, I'm digging in. You know, you guys are going to hear it. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. So, you know, he came to speak Christ. It's not weak. It's mighty in them. You know, when someone is coming to deliver the truth, it should actually have you feeling this sense of empowerment. Not in every case. Sometimes they'll be rebuking. They'll be reproving. But the thing is, is only that we might be right. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now, if you guys remember with Gideon's army, there were some fearful and unbelieving that didn't make it. But the next stage of people were idolaters and they were proud. So if you're too proud, God can't use you either because Paul is talking about being weak so that Christ can strengthen you. But you've got to be willing to let the Lord fill you. But see, some people are so proud, the Lord wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole because... After the Lord does his work in you, you'll be telling everybody you did it. So the Lord doesn't want any proud people. Remember how with David's army, the Lord got the victory. And that's how we've got to keep in mind that everything we do is for Jesus. Verse 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So he's saying, except you be reprobate. So he said, examine yourselves. Let's see if we're in the faith from time to time. 
Let's not think we have it. Let's know that God is working in us and through us. Let's know when we're off course. Let's be honest. I mean, even if you got to laugh at yourself, so be it. You know what? I ain't even praying today. I know I should be praying and this and that. How can I call myself this and that, knowing that I'm not even, right now, I'm not in the faith. I'm watching more TV than I am giving the Lord time. We got to know these things. Verse 6, but I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do uh, no evil, not that ye should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. So he was saying to be honest before the Lord, not giving the devil an inroad, being real in our circumstances so that God can bless us and work with us. Eight, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Uh, we, I mean, for we are glad when we are weak and we are strong. And this also we wish even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things being absent lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. So he says, hey, get it together, guys, because I'm not I'm absent with you right now, lest I use sharpness. What is sharpness? Calling you out. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want me to do that, he's like, I can do it. But right now, I'm trying to come to you guys and tell you to examine yourselves. Verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Now, I want to uh, mention something here, too, because he said be of one mind. We were talking about Sunday as well. When the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? That doesn't mean that we can't go and try and win someone to the Lord. But see, when you walk with somebody, that means that you are in agreement with that in that individual. You're going in courting with them. And I would encourage any Christian, don't let anybody tell you, as long as we have core values, we can rock together. No, you cannot. If you have brought the truth to an individual and they don't want that truth, even though it is biblically sound and they refuse to accept it, stay away from them. Why? Because these people are resisting the truth. Freemasonry started that whole thing with as long as we have core beliefs. What do Freemasons believe? Immortality of the soul, brotherhood of man, and, um, and wait, brotherhood of man, immortality of the soul, and the belief in the supreme being. So you see, those are their three core values. Now, you know, that's most religions. So they're trying to bring everybody together on one accord. Don't let people push that on you. If we see something wrong and we go over it with scripture and that person refused to see it after you've already shown them, part with them. Mm -hmm. Because that person has already made up his mind, I'm going to resist the word of God. So how can you two walk together? You can't. You can't. And I, I'm sorry to say that, but you cannot. Verse 12. Uh, greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you in grace to the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So it is important that we be of one mind. We need to be of one spirit in Christ. We cannot walk together if we believe different things. I'm not talking about the mysteries of the Bible like when Jesus is coming back. I mean, that, as far as I'm concerned, nobody knows that. So it doesn't even pay to speculate. But when you know there's some core values... Like you must be born again. 
that a Christian must go through sanctification. You got people telling you you can live how you want to live. No, that's not okay. That's not okay. Be, be aware of what you're around and what people say. Because some people may say, no, they didn't mean it. What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in, in order to protect ourselves, we need to understand what this is about. So um, let's go. I want to make this point real quick. Let's go to Isaiah 33 and 1. So what's a holy kiss? I believe it's like a kiss on the cheek. You know, especially Italian kiss. Mm -hmm. Or like a kiss in the wind, you know, cheek to cheek. Oh yeah. Hey, Bison. Nice little girl. Make two points. I don't think I can actually close after that. Have you been through it? No. Yeah. My dad, um, his family's from Sicily. Okay. So he was 100% Italian. That's why she's so dark. Sicilian <laughs> blue. I don't know my color. I've been around for a while. Really? That's pretty awesome. Cool. One of my, I would like to take your family. You should go. Mm hmm. It's true. They would make out for you being Italian right away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Your dad's genes must have been strong. Yeah. All right. Isaiah 33 and 1. It says, Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou waste not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled, and when thou shalt make an end um, to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. So in other words, woe unto them, you reap what you sow. What you dish out, that which you, you know, do, that will be returned to you. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee, but thou, but thou there arm every morning our salvation, also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, and nations were scattered. And your spoil shall be gathered like the, the gathering of the caterpillar, as the running to and fro of locusts shall be shall shall he run upon them. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath uh, filled Zion with judgment and righteousness, and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So another thing that will allow us to contend is having the right wisdom, having knowledge, being stable of your times, and then the strength and salvation. But the fear of the Lord is what makes all things come together. That's why Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, you know, either you gather with me or you scatter it. Jesus was making clear, and I, I mean, I love Jesus, because Jesus was a man's man. I mean, he let you know, hey, you're either on my side or you're not. But there's no in-between. There is no, well, I didn't know. I'm letting you guys know right now. You're either on my army or you are in the army of the enemy. He said, you don't gather with me, you scatter. Verse 7, behold, their valiant ones shall cry. Without the ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highway lie waste. The wafering man ceaseth. 
He, um, he hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. So that's the wavering man. The earth mourneth and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness, and Bashan and Carmel shake off, shake off their fruits. Uh, now will I arise, saith the Lord. So in a wicked generation or perverse people, the Lord is going to arise. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Um, ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. And the people shall be as a burning of the lime, as thorns cut up, they shall be burned with the fire. Hear ye that are far off, those are, so those that are not close, what I have done, and ye, and ye that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners of Zion are afraid, fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? So he's making clear that, see, when things come and we claim to be in the Lord, he said the fear is going to override the, the hypocrite. The hypocrite is going to be covered in this because he's going to know that he wasn't doing what the Lord calls us to do. And that's why the Bible says in Isaiah 45, Woe unto them who striveth against his maker. If God made you and you know his word is true, and you have evidence and faith in him, then do what he's telling you to do. But remember what he told Paul when Paul persecuted the church? He said, Paul, you're kicking against the pricks. How do you expect to win? You're only hurting yourself fighting against me. So you want to be on the winning side because for those people that are not doing what the Lord says and striving and serving him, fear is going to overtake the hypocrite. When it comes time to battle, the hypocrite is going to step back. The one who is real in Christ is going to step forward. So we've got to be prepared for this. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's do what we're called to do. Let's do what we are called to do. Let's go to uh, Matthew 11. Matthew 11, and then I'm going to go one more place. Um, let's go to uh, Matthew 11 and Joshua 5. Get those two if you can. Matthew 11 first. That's why I go out there even when I don't feel like it. Because I don't even want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be that person not ready. I'd rather know what I'm going up against now to see if I have sufficient in me enough to finish it than to go out there and, and, you know, believing that I've got it only to find out, man, this is more than I can bear, <laughs> you know. Oh, man. All right, so this is Matthew 11 and 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding the 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Then when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and shew John again those things which ye, do, which ye do see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So Jesus is making clear those that will be blessed will receive Jesus Christ as he is. No bending, no shaping, 
No, maybe he didn't mean me, none of that other stuff. Believe in Jesus Christ so we won't be offended. That's important. Verse 7, And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. So right away, we've got to understand when Jesus chose someone or the Holy Ghost chose someone to speak for the Lord, he kept this individual in the wilderness, unspotted from the world, that he may not be corrupted, but he also brought him strong. John the Baptist was a strong individual with no fear. But if we examine the life of John, people had to go out to the wilderness to be baptized in John. He was not baptizing anybody in Egypt. You had to separate from the world to go and find John out there to be baptized. And you see how bold John was? He told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He was talking to a king, but he didn't care. Why? Because his mind was focused on Christ. So it is important that we understand that when God chooses, he's not going to choose people stuck to the world. You've got to be separated because you don't know what mission he's going to call you on. Now, can you be in the world and work and do things? Absolutely, but here's the thing. It can't mean anything to you. If the Lord commands you to speak, you speak. If he commands you to do, you do. It's about being faithful to him. That's what this is about. So he said, man, I didn't pick some reed shaking in the wind. And you know that this is true. Look at David's mighty man. God didn't surround David with whips. David is a type of Christ. So what does God want us to be? armor-clad, battle-toughing, and ready. Now, Paul spoke love all day, but Paul said, I know one thing, you better endure hardness and you better have that armor on. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. So Paul understood war. Verse 9. That's a good point to make, is back then it was obviously spears and, mm -hmm. you know, and now it's all it's, it's spiritual. Exactly. You know, and, and to be honest with you, it's probably harder to be spiritual than it is to be physical because I could just grab a sword right now and then just go off on somebody. But what did you really prove with that other than fasting and praying and getting the power to cast out the demon? That's harder to do. Some deliverance um, ministries and services I've been to. Man, you're talking five, six hours to get a demon out of a person. Sometimes that someone else has to be full of the Spirit where you step back and they take over because you're tired. You can have sweat dripping through your shoes trying to deal with demons. So deliverance, man, that's a nasty thing. And I want to get us into that, hopefully, Lord, maybe by like March or April. I think that's another part of the ministry that we need to add. That is so important because this is what we need for people to be delivered. We got people coming here in all walks of life to do different things and you know what struggles they have. It's time to start exercising what the Lord has given us. You, we're going to make a point? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what you're saying about going through hard times and everything like that can be summed up in one verse. And it's been read numerous times, but it just really mm -hmm. tells us what we're going to do. Second Timothy 3 and 12, yay. And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's mm -hmm. no way around that. Mm -hmm. So we may as well get ready for the battle because it won't be easy. So he says in verse um, verse 9, 
But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, and I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there have not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. We've been over this many times. If you look at Numbers 13 and 33, they saw those giants that kept them from going forward. Now, if we brought those giants into modern times today, what could some of those things be? Well, demons, of course, but they can be they can be a job, they can be family, they can be sickness, they can be anything that's going on that's trying to keep you from getting closer to the Lord. They can be entertainment, for that matter. They weren't just totally fearful. The people didn't want to fight against them because they didn't believe God. So all we've got to do today is look at those things that keep us from believing the Lord. And those are the things that we need to contend with for the faith. So he says the violent take it by force. We've got to understand we've got to fight our way in. There is no just handing it over. The children of Israel didn't have it easy and neither will we. You think the devil is just going to watch after he saw what Jesus did. He even tried to kill Jesus as a child. And you think he's just going to let you just smooth on in. He tried to kill Moses before that deliverer came. Because Moses was to deliver the children of Israel. Moses narrowly escaped with his life, you know, ended up with Pharaoh and his men, you know, left there because he tried to help an Israelite, ran into the wilderness for 40 years. The Lord strengthened him that he came back in the spirit to deliver the people out. So Moses was only set free that he might free other people. But it's important we understand that the devil tried to wipe him out before he was born. And it's unfortunate that the devil is doing that today through abortion killing innocent kids. You know how many Moseses are out there? You know how many kids probably would have come up and done what they did? I mean, would have been great and mighty? So the devil has to deal with people in this manner. So he says, the violent take it by force. For all the prophets of the Lord prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which is Elijah, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath the devil. So we got to understand this too. If you come preaching the gospel and doing what the Lord says to do, you are not going to please everybody. He said, man, we have piped and they have not danced. We have mourned and they have not lamented. So in other words, I'm pleading with you, give your life to Jesus. And people just stare at you like they're watching TV. You know, because, hey, man, it ain't affecting me. This is the perverse generation. He said, but when we, play, when we piped to give you the good news, man, what's so exciting about salvation? Because these people are stuck in the world. Yeah. So that's what we got to understand what this is. So he said, for John neither came eating nor drinking, and they say he had the devil. Now, John would have been the perfect example of what a person that was sanctified from the world would have been. But they say he had the devil. Why? Because he wasn't walking around in soft raiment. 
and he wasn't, you know, like a little leaf, a little twig in the wind. Man, if you stand for Christ in boldness, this will be you. 19. The Son of Man, which is Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber. So he says, A friend of publicans and sinners, but, witness, but wisdom is justified of her children. So the Lord is going to let, him, let them know that, you know, if that's what you believe, then believe it. If that's the wisdom that comes from you, and you think that I'm an unbeliever, I'm a, I'm a sinner, or I don't have love in Christ in me because I'm preaching the gospel, hey, man, if that's what you gathered from the truth that I brought, so be it. But, you know, and then, then you got people that are doing other things. You're never going to satisfy these people. So we may as well strive with all diligence and do what we're called to do. Don't let our numbers affect how we feel about this. That's right. You talk to 100 people, you get two phone numbers, two people may actually accept it. You know what? Well done in Jesus Christ. Why? Those were the two that you came for. You know, those were the two. So don't feel like, man, nothing's happening. We've got to believe God in spite of what we face, in spite of what we deal with. 1 Corinthians 10, I'm sorry, guys, and then Joshua 5. I'm sorry, man, it's just, I've got to make this point too. But when he says lay aside every weight, we've got to lay these things aside. This is not going to be given to us. We have got to figure that out. Why would we be wearing armor if it was so easy? And I'm telling you, as sure as Sarah and I, we listen to some of the videos after. Don't you know that things play out right after we speak about them? Right after we talk about this stuff, it's almost like the example comes next week. Almost as if it's like a prophecy warning ahead of time. But I've gone to some studies and like, man, that would have been so perfect for the next study or the next situation we're dealing with. Man, it's just like that. That's why the Lord always gives warning ahead of time. You know, um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud of in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So he made clear that they all drank from Christ. Now let's bring this in the modern times. Most of us believe in Jesus Christ. A lot of us are partaking in the things of Jesus Christ. So it would look like, you know, on the surface, we're all the same, you know? But look at what he says in verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So where were they overthrown? In the soul. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So this is really key in, in concerning our striving and our going forward. Because you see, Jesus said seven times to seven churches, to him that overcometh. When you overcome something, it is like a wrestling match. You know, that person, the devil may have you down, or the world or the flesh has got you pinned down to the floor, and you can just imagine the Lord and the angels, turn them over, flip them, yeah, come on, go for it. you got people cheering for you, and you've got to eventually get on top of that thing that is overcoming you that you might overcome. 
So that's why he says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But when you look at wrestling, that's probably the most intense level of fighting you can have. Even boxers step back after punching and take a breather. But wrestling, man, it's like an ongoing full contact sport where you are just trying to gain the advantage. This is the fight that we are having. So he says, don't lust after evil things as they lusted. Verse 7, neither be ye idolaters as some of them, uh, as, it, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now, you know, this spoke volumes for me. People can believe whatever they want, but he called them idolaters and he said they lusted after evil things. Then he says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, you know there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with, well, depending on what you're drinking. But the thing is, is that they rose up to play. So you would imagine in the wilderness, in our souls, playing is not really the thing that God wants us to do because our mission is incomplete. Yes, we can have laughter. We can have joy. We can enjoy others. But playing is kind of more of, you know, I don't care. I'm lackadaisical. I know I should be doing something, but I've got other things that are more important. I'm doing what I like. So he's saying this is how these people were overthrown because they did not stay on, on task. And then it says, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Now you know that the 23,000 fell when they decided to worship um, that uh, golden calf. So, you know, that's a part of idolatry. So, you know, we're not talking physical fornication here. This is spiritual. And that's why the Lord calls, when he said adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is the enemy of God. We've got to understand, we can be in this world. We can live in this world, but to be of this world is to believe in this world. We've got to know that Christ is everything. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some um, of some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them that also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they, and they are written for our admonition, our warning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. So it is important that we understand where we are. When we, when we get warnings and things like that, let's take heed to them, especially if they're coming from the Word of God, and we know that we're guilty of these things. If we want to strive to make it, we got to move out of the way those things that are in the way. And you know what? Sarah said this a long time ago, and this is true. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. You know why? Because days are getting shorter. Time is ticking. Just because you stop in the faith doesn't mean that time says, all right, let me wait to see where he's going and what's going to happen. As we continue to stand still, time moves. If we move, time moves. If we go back, time moves. So we know that we're not gaining ground. We're losing ground. We should ever be increasing in our faith. Man, you want to be like Paul. Paul says, I got a crown of righteousness laid up for me. Why? Because Paul did everything the Lord asked. Man, I don't want to be like that guy in that video Maybe the getting in part, but the last thing I want to do is know that I was called to do something and did not have the faith to do it. Man, those are going to be some, some bad times for people. There hath uh, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with, but will uh, with the temptation also make a way to escape that they may be able to bear it. So it is important that we understand that God is not going to you know deal with you above what temptations, but he always makes a way for escape. But we've got to know what those things are. He's not going to put that pressure on you. You know, I'm, I'm caught up in a dilemma now between Joshua 5 and Romans 8. But you remember what Romans 8 said. Let's go to Joshua 5. Romans 8 said that we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. But what did Paul say? He was persuaded. He said he was persuaded. So these things don't mean anything to what Paul says. If we're not persuaded, do we believe the words of God? Paul said, I'm persuaded. So most people would say, see, we're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Because that's where the faith and the seeds are planted and your growth in your faith comes. You have got to believe. Man, if you don't believe it, you're just reading a novel. Okay, interesting, beautiful. But if you believe, you will do what the Lord says to do. A lot of people will throw scripture in your face. You're like, wait a minute, is that what you believe? And maybe, yeah, but the Bible says, is that what you believe? Because that's what it boils down to. This is my personal testimony. All right, Joshua 5, uh, this is the last chapter we're going to do tonight. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we went until we were passed over, that their hearts melted, neither was there the spirit in them, was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. Now this is what Caleb and Joshua were trying to tell the people ahead of time. Fear them not, the Lord will do. For those who were unbelieving, they did not go into the land. Many were tempted along the way, but the last stage that they had to get through were those giants. And as you can see, many of them didn't go. Joshua and Caleb, they believed. But you see, as we press toward the prize, and we really get in good with the Lord, and the Lord gets us armor clad and ready for battle, you're going to find the devil do this very thing. His heart will melt because he knows no matter what, you have already set your face like a flint that you're going in. He's going to try and distract you. But one thing I'm learning about the devil, he's got some power, but nothing compared to what the Lord has. But, you know, he's like in that movie, The Wizard of Oz. I am a great and powerful. And then you go behind the curtain and you see a little old man there. The devil calls a lot of bluffs. He'll use family. He'll use friends. He'll use whatever it takes to tempt you or to hurt you. We've got to see that that's all smoke and mirrors and press toward the goal. And trust me, his heart will melt. He doesn't have the guts to stand up against Jesus. And it's time that we realize that. What is more than a conqueror? Think about that. Because conquerors are supposed to be the biggest, baddest things around. But we're more than conquerors in Christ. You know what that means? It's a done deal. It's already been set in stone. All we need to do is believe. That's all it is. Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua um, made, uh, sharp, made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of their foreskins. So notice he circumcised them a second time because this time they're going in. 
So circumcision is kind of like a separating from the world. And this is the cause, and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war uh, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, uh, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not shew them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. Now see, this land of milk and honey we ought to understand because this is salvation. Man, this is getting in with God. This is that godly inheritance. He said it flowed with milk. So that means that you would be lacking nothing. And honey, that means that it's sweet, sweeter than anything that you can possibly have in this life. Man, what's to stop us from this? And their children whom they he raised up uh, in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. So, you know, there are some people that are in the world, because this is what he's pretty much saying. Remember Jesus said, when people made excuse and they would not come into the kingdom, he said, get the maimed, get the lame, get the blind, get the crippled, go after, go to the highways and byways and fill my house. A lot of God's remnant are going to be people that you think have no chance. They're going to be the lowly, the nasty, the grungy, the wicked. These people are going to be sought after by the Lord to be converted, to be moved over in that last time. And that's why he waited to circumcise them. Remember, in the wilderness, they were last to, what it says in verse 7. I think that's where I am. Yeah, in verse 7, he says, And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because... They had not circumcised them by the way. So these people were lying in wait. This is God's army that he's intending to deliver. And that's why I am finding, I'm telling you, I'm running into 15-year-olds that are ready to take on the devil. And you're like, man, little boy, you don't know what you're saying. But no, he does. This kid has zeal. You know what? I don't like what I'm hearing. I'm giving my life to the Lord. You got this younger generation, man. They're popping up bold. And the reason why God made them that way for this generation is because he intends to use them. God wants a sanctified you, but he doesn't really want you to lose your character. Because a lot of us are bold in the street. Remember when somebody cursed you, you cursed them back? They took off their jacket, you took off yours? See, God wants that individual, but he wants you sanctified. He wants you to keep that boldness. But people become religious and they get into... The way a lot of church people act, and they think that's a Christian. Just, oh, Bartholomew, my brother. And, uh, man, the Lord wants somebody to say, thus saith the Lord God in the name of Jesus. You know, because he can use you. So there's nothing wrong with having love, but God is forging an army. And this army is going to be no joke. These kids are going to be bold. I'm telling you. God's getting ready to use them. Verse 8, and it came to pass... When they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. 
And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gigal unto this day. Gigal means like rolling wheel. I'm not sure what significance it has to this. And the children of Israel encamped in Gigal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month and even in the plains of Jericho. So notice they kept the Passover before they moved forward. Now what sacrifices would be made would be us. We've got to present our bodies as that sacrifice that the Lord can use. But notice he circumcised them and he took all of Egypt away from them before they stepped into that promised land to war. The Lord is trying to take all of the world out of you so that you won't be hooked, excuse me, hooked to any of it so we can have the promises of God. Excuse me, verse 10. And the children of Israel, oh, I read that, uh, verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. Why? That was going to be the last day of their sustenance of what was old because they were getting ready to inherit the land. So you see how as they were eating, they were putting all these things away. And I can't tell anybody how it's going to happen exactly. I know what's happening for me. I'm just starting to hate the world. I don't love this. I don't want anything from this. I'll do what I have to do to sustain right now so that other people may have and giving to people and doing the Lord's will. But me and my heart, I don't want this. I want what Christ wants. I, I can't explain that to anybody unless it happens to you. But you're gonna. This world is gonna grow strangely dim. The closer you draw to Lord to the Lord, the more you're just gonna start seeing what's behind the scenes, and you're gonna not like it. Yeah. It'll come in its time. Stay with the Lord. Verse twelve. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So. They had to put the manna ceased, all these things stopped. And that's why Jesus took his people into a desert place, because he wanted them to know that he was God. He wanted them to know that they could rely on him. But you see, as we draw closer to the Lord, things in the, in the soul, things in the Egypt are going to cease from us. And it came to pass when Joshua was in Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. You guys want to meet Jesus up close and personal? This is how you do it. You leave the world behind and you go. And now look, look who met him, a man on the other side. And uh, right, stood against him with his sword drawn in hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? So we understand that before they went into battle, the Lord met Joshua on his way. But the Lord was not going to meet them in Egypt and he was not going to meet them in the wilderness. He came, he came up close and personal. You got to recognize this time he was not a pillar of fire. He was not a cloud of smoke. That time is over. The mysteries are over. And that's why when the Bible says in, um, in uh, first, first, uh, on Colossians, Colossians 1, it says, remember the mystery 
that is hid from the ages is now made manifest unto us? Well, that mystery of cloud of fire and smoke came in a physical, I mean, in a form that they could identify with to lead them in the battle. If we want Jesus, we have got to forsake these things. Now, this is a slow process, but we got to yield our vessels to him. But see, this is where he met the Lord. The Lord said, okay, you don't have Egypt on you. You don't have the wilderness. Now I can come and speak to you. Now we can get the job done. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So this is what I want in my life. I can't speak for anyone else, but I want to be led of the Spirit of God in all that I do. Now you see how he's being led by the Lord as they got ready to approach. Before that point, it was a pillar of fire, you know, cloud of smoke. But man, this is, this is the end game, is to reach our godly inheritance in him. And we're not going to get there unless we contend. These guys were ready to go to war is why the Lord showed up to meet them there. God doesn't, why would Jesus come to see you if you don't intend to do anything? So what's that mean, to like take your shoes off or just loosen them up? Well, like loose them from off that foot. So he took them off okay. and said, for this is holy ground. So, you know, God is clean. And even the soles of your shoes are not even, you know, something in his presence. Man, it's, it's just an awesome thing how holy God is. He told Moses the same thing when Moses met the burning bush. Loose thy shoe from off thy feet, for this is holy ground. So wherever the place of the Lord is, that, that area is holy. And that's why it's important that we carry the Lord within us, that we might be like him. I'm sorry to take so long tonight, guys, but, you know, we can't stress enough about striving. Striving is an important work that we should overcome and be like him. And let's not miss out on this. We've got to contend for the faith. And the only way we're going to stand for the Lord and make it into the kingdom is if we leave the things behind that have us bound. That's right. Amen. All right. Have us go to Nehemiah 8 and verse 7. It's right after Ezra, so it's right before Job, right before Esther. Seven sixty-five in yours, Christina. Eight and verse seven. All right, Nehemiah eight and seven. Also, also Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah. <laughs> Gotta go through all these names. Jemin, Akub, Shabatha. Hodajiah, Messiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Josabad, Hanan, Eliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So right now what we're talking about is the law of Moses, but it's going to make sense for what's to come. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, 
And the Levites that taught the peoples said, all, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So the law of Moses was like 630-something laws that we know that the people could not keep. But when Jesus Christ came, he put it into two. Verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, like giving. For this day is holy unto, your, unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, like again I say that they had the law of Moses, but this was in preparation for Christ's coming. Because if you also read in verse 10 here, it says, Prepare... Or uh, and send portions for them, for send portions unto them for for whom nothing is prepared. Like well, the poor, like the poor and like the homeless. So this is also talking about servitude. So if we do love the Lord our God with our with all of our heart, mind, and our soul and our strength, and we if we do love our neighbor as ourselves, then these are things that we're going to do and we can have we are going to find real joy in servitude for the lord because it's a very humbling experience when we go when you go out and you're talking to people about the lord and you can meet them at their need i mean if we don't have it we don't have it obviously but it's being able to help them it's being saying hey do you need something to eat or can i give you something hot to drink or what do you need you know, and, and it's, there's just real joy in being able to do that because so many people today have been, have had just really terrible and horrible religious experiences. And that's why when we go out, 90 some odd percent people will shut us down because of that. And we're trying to give them, hey, no, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about what he's done for me and how he's, breaking, he's broken down so many walls in my life and the wretched sinner that he took me from and place my feet on solid ground and when you can tell people about that and they can relate to oh my goodness you know this is this is what it's really all about then that's planting that seed but having the joy of the Lord in us in doing that that is where our strength truly does lie in in being servants for him and letting him lead us and guide us and direct us in all things you know like Paul said I am all things to all men that I might save some. Why was he doing that? He was, like you said tonight, you know, he was showing them. He was going out and meeting them at their needs. And that, that's where it's saying here, having that joy in us by going out and having God's law in us, led by the Holy Spirit. That's what I had. It sounds like you're comfortable. You can't get comfortable. But you know, we got to be able to sustain take the blows we really do we've got to trust the Lord because man you know we got to be fighters for Christ Amen. we really truly do if we can't get the boldness to do that and you know if you can be turned away just by little tiny circumstances man if that's all you got <laughs> man you ain't ready to deal with this you're not ready to get in this fight because the devil's going to try and hit you where it hurts and what the Lord wants you to do is get armored up and fire back. Amen. All right, so who's going to pray out tonight? It's like Sarah chose me. All right, Christina, you're up. Go for it. <laughs> um, all right, Heavenly Father, 
we come to you in loneliness and just ask that you help us really take this message to heart tonight and that the seeds have been planted and we ask that you pour down your water and fill us and um let the growth start happening, Lord, the spiritual growth inside of us, yes, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Not only today during this message, Lord, but every day that we meditate day and night into your word, Lord. And I know I haven't been the best at it all the time, and I know you have been, it's a process and you're growing it in me, but Lord, I just ask that um, I get stronger and stronger and everyone else, wherever they're at in their walk with that, that they continue to grow farther and farther in that area That's because there is no cap with that growth with you, that cap of seeking you and searching you and just asking for more, that cap of hunger and thirst, Lord, there is none, Lord. I just ask for you to continue to um, just urge us and build that fire in us that just wants more and more of you, God. I ask that you pour more of your Holy Spirit anointing down on us. I ask that you reveal more wisdom and understanding, Lord. I ask that your fear be upon us, Lord, that we do your will and not our own, Father, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding, Lord Jesus. And, you know, Satan's going to try to attack us. He's going to try to break us up. He's going to try to confuse us, Lord, but we stand on the Christ foundation, our rock rooted and grounded in you. So when storms come in this ministry and storms come in our life, that we are steady in the faith, Lord Jesus, and that we are going to fight for the faith and we are going to get in the battle and be bold in the battle and not be afraid of the devil, Lord Jesus, because we have you and perfect love with you cast out all fear. Father. Lord, I just ask that you help us set aside our feelings so that we can do your will and that so we don't get distracted in our emotions, but that we stay spiritually sound and not carnal of whatever the world is trying to throw at us, Father. I ask for you to continue to heal us, Lord. I ask for you to continue to bless us with all spiritual blessings, Father. I ask that you keep us in perfect, sound mind, Lord Jesus, following you with our full heart and going to others around us and spreading the joy that you have given us, Lord, because our joy is our strength in you. Lord, we thank you for these things. And I ask you, all the people that aren't here, that listen to this message, that you just touch their heart, Lord, and water their seeds as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.